Two topics we're going to talk about. One is about Byron and Babbage when they were at Cambridge. And to answer the question, why is a language called Ada? Oh, it's gone the wrong way. And there we are. And not Ada, the American Dental Association. We always spell Ada, not in capitals. Lord Byron went to Trinity, Cambridge, of course. He went up in July 1805, and he graduated in the MA in 1808. Being a noble, he did not have to take any examinations at all. He just <laughs> didn't take the Mass Tripos. Interesting enough, in those days, you had to take the Mass Tripos if you wanted to read anything else. If you wanted to do classics, you had to do Mass first. If you wanted to do theology, you had to do Mass first. Jolly good idea, I always thought. <laughs> However, he didn't have to mess with commoners. He dined all the time on high table. One story about him is that he wanted a dog, but the college rules did not allow dogs. So they didn't prohibit any other sort of animal, so he had a bear. And the big question is, which is, I think really to this day fairly unanswered, did he keep it in college? Well, according to Wright, another man who went to Trinity, in his book Alma Mater, which he published anonymously in 1827, Byron had a room in Kay's staircase in Great Court and kept his bear at the top of the so-called hexagonal turret, and down below there you'll see a little bit extract from Wright's book. When Lord Byron's at Trinity, he kept in rooms on this staircase, round which you might drive a coach and six, and had, moreover, the use of the small hexagonal one in the tower. Here's Great Court from Kay's Staircase. Rather beautiful, I hope you agree. Um, there's a fountain here in the middle. See the fountain in the middle. And in the opposite corner, there's a, another little a turret thing, right? And that's actually the turret on air stake, a staircase, and next on, on the left of that is the Master's Lodge. Well, Kay's Staircase, the diagonally opposite, also has a turret. And here's the turret, a bit, a bit of clouds here. And the question is, did Bear live in this top of this turret? Well, first thing we notice is the turret's not actually hexagonal, wretched thing, it's octagonal. And the best room is K6, uh, which is the room with a slightly little window open there in the middle. And, uh, and the question is, did Byron live there? Well, who knows? I lived in K6, and I was told, John, you're living in the room that Byron lived in. But we don't know whether that's true or not. Maybe or maybe not. Byron did keep a bear, probably outside the college in the ram yard with his horses. Maybe he and the bear were in K as a temporary measure. Anyway, Byron seems to have achieved little academically, but wrote some poetry generally had a good social time. I have read that he was thrown into the fountain, which is something that happened to a lot of people. <laughs> oh, by the way, Lady Butler, who was the master's wife in about 1917, had a pet that looked remarkably like a dog, it talked like a dog, but it was classified as a cat. I met Lady Butler, Molly Butler, in her nighty once, and I'll explain that offline. Babbage also went to Trinity in 1810. He'd read Mass, but for some unknown reason, he moved to Peterhouse in 1812. He offended the examiners at the Viva. Oh, by the way, it's called a tripus because in the old days, the Viva part of it, the students sat on a three-legged stool. Well, he offended the examiners of Viva, not quite certain why he offended them, what he actually said, and did not take the exam. Maybe deliberate, but he did not want to be beaten by Herschel. Herschel was senior wrangler that year, but wrangler is someone who gets the first in maths at, at Cambridge. So senior wrangler is the person at the top of the list. And Peacock was second wrangler in 1813. 
Another source indeed says that Babbage did take the exam and was third, so who knows. So I've, I have written to this other source. I have had no replies yet, so we'll, we'll find out. Anyway, Babbage was very grumpy. He thought the teaching was awful and founded the so-called Analytical Society with Herschel and Peacock, the, the first and second Wranglers, while they were both undergraduates still. He was Lucasian Professor from 1828 to 1839. Remember that Newton was Lucasian Professor sometime before? But Babbage never did anything at all about it. He did not lecture anything. And as we know, he was very grumpy with the government later, wasn't he, on the funding of his various bits of stuff. Babbage was also a consultant to Brunel when building the Great Western Railway. And, you know, a senior consultant, you might imagine these days you'd get a company uh, car, wouldn't you? Or maybe a company horse. But Babbage had a company train. So one Sunday morning in 1838, he arrived at Paddington and demanded his train. At that time, the line just went to Maidenhead. He was told to use either track, since no one else was about that day. And uh, you can imagine, he's going to say, uh, my train, my man, you know, and it puff, 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 and it would come and he'd jump on. So it was a bus just about to set off, when, lo and behold, they hear a, dist- a distant noise. The Brunel arrives unexpectedly on his train, which he had obviously a private train from Maidenhead. Well, gosh, what if they had been on the same track and the engines had collided and both been killed? Then maybe, this is 1838, remember, there'd be no mathematical engine, end of working with Ada Lovelace, no language about Ada, we wouldn't be here today. So this potential disaster made them think about signalling. So even today, railways are one of only two industries who seem to care about correctness. The other <laughs> is avionics. The second theme of this hilarious talk is why a language called Ada. Well, two of the threads from this in the mid-1970s concerned in many languages for embedded systems such as process control. In Europe, we had a language called COL 66 from the Ministry of Defence, a language called RTL2 from Imperial Chemical Industries, uh, a language called LTR, that's French, that's RTL backwards, of course. French always spell things backwards. And there's a German language called Perl. Now, the EU decided that a new language all of Europe would be a good thing. This could be an example of an early, ever close attempt at union. So anyway, they established this long-term procedural language, Dash Europe, a group which had many meetings, mostly in Brussels. And they were, it was a jolly time, actually. <laughs> we were eating the beef mountain and drinking the uh, wine lake. Anyway, experts advised the Europeans to join the US in a global effort, because meanwhile, the US had set up the High Order Language Project, and they had also had too many languages, such as a language called Jovial. Now, I thought it was called Jules' own version of Indigo Algol, but a colleague has told me that's incorrect and it should be something else. Anyway, it was Algol 58 it was based on, not Algol 60. CMS and Tacpole, and they established this high language project under the leadership of one Colonel William Whittaker. And the management team included Philip Weatherall of the Royal Signals and Radar Establishment at Malvern. And the first task, of course, was to decide what it was all for. What a good idea. So... Some requirements are written, and they were called straw man, wooden man, tin man, iron man, and steel man, getting stronger and stronger and stronger. I actually have a sample of steel man here today, which you might like to browse at sometime. Anyway, said various things like the language shall be strongly typed, and so on and so forth. Whoops. Difficult number 20. Anyway. anyway, the US let four contracts, and they were meant to be secret, not supposed to know who each contract was let to. And they were colour-coded to enable unbiased comparisons at the end. There's the green one. That was from Honeywell. 
uh, actually that the contract actually was with Honeywell in Minneapolis. The work was done in Versailles. The lead of that team was a, a chap called Jean Ishbia, uh, sadly no deceased. The red team were based in Intermetrics in Boston, and the leader was a chap called Ben Brosgall, who now works for Ada Core, in fact. Uh, he's still in, 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 uh, in Boston. He's still called Ben Brosgall as well. And with the blue team, <laughs> sorry, the blue team, they're from a company called Soft Tech, also in Boston. And they were run by a chap called Jim Goodenough, and he was pretty good. Um, and he retired from the Software Engineering Institute. Pittsburgh, a well-known place. The yellow team, not too sure about the yellow team. I think they are Californian. I think they were from Stanford. Yeah, SRI. Yeah. Thank you, Terry. Um, anyway, so here we are. There's a, there's a little picture there. They are the four, actually, I can show you the four original versions, drafts of the four. After one year, blue and yellow were eliminated. Blue was strange, but interesting. Yellow was totally incompetent. <laughs> Failed. Failed to meet the wretched requirements. It's the first thing to do is to meet the requirements. Anyway, after another year, red was eliminated. It changed direction somewhat. Whereas green had consolidated its position. So green was acclaimed in 1978. Whoops. What to call it? Now, the project had gone entirely to plan. Except that they had not chosen a name. Eventually, in a bar in Paris, where else, they decided to want Ada because... They wanted to name it after a worthy person, like Blaise Pascal, of course, but Pascal language named after him. They wanted to honour a woman, because, as I mentioned earlier, Grace Hopper had done much for COBOL, but she wasn't very well known for it. So they wanted to honour a woman. And Ada was clearly, I think clearly, the world's first programmer. <laughs> I was noticed this morning there was some doubt about that. Anyway, so it was decided to call it Ada. However, permission was, had to be sought and so Philip Weatherall, at the Royal Signals on Radar Establishment, wrote to the then Earl of Lytton. Um, is, is the Earl of Lytton here today yet? He's due at the banquet this evening, not here today. Right. He's here this evening. Anyway, um, it was his father, you see. And the, so he wrote on the 10th of October 1978. Copies of the letter are out on the stand outside if you want to see them afterwards. So the Earl replied on the 18th and said, yes, jolly good. Jolly good show, old chap. And noted that. Ada was at the heart of radar, which I think is rather clever to note that, actually, um, because the Royal Signals of Radar established wasn't particularly aimed at radar, but there we go. And the language community were absolutely delighted to have Ada as their mascot. And that's a, a subtle joke for only a small number of people there. <laughs> mascot was a sort of system at one point. Anyway, right, so we've done that bit. Here we are. So Ada appeared everywhere. Books came out with pictures of Ada on the cover. And... Um, there were, the, the ACM gave statuettes to people who'd done good stuff. And they, they do that these days, actually. There's still, still these statuettes are, are still appearing. So, um, and we had a good conference. There was a particularly good conference in London in 1997. And the guest speaker was the Earl of Lytton, who is maybe here today. And it was his father that gave permission to use his name, as I said. And we had entertainment from, a, from the New York Village Opera Group. And... They did a play. I actually, have the, I actually have the playbill here. This is a playbill dated from the time. It was called The Maiden and the Mandate. And it showed the conflict between Lady Ada, who wrote excellent software in the Ada language, and the treacherous hacker, who wrote in C. And it was, it was based on trial by jury. Ah, so here was Lady Ada. And she was played by a lady then called Karen Lear, now Karen Mason. 
and I had hoped we might have managed to get her to come today, but this was 20 years ago. Maybe the dress wouldn't fit. <laughs> anyway, this was photographed, uh, this wasn't photographed in London, this was photographed at a previous event in um, Philadelphia, I think. Right. Well, we crave freedom, don't we? One of the goals of Ada was to give you freedom. And there's two forms of freedom. Freedom from problems on the one hand, and from freedom to do whatever you want on the other. And these freedoms, of course, they conflict very badly. Ada aims to provide freedom from problems by detecting difficulties early in the development of software. That's the real, real go of it. You don't hear an awful lot about Ada's today, and that's partly because many of the applications are confidential. And they're mostly used in avionics and the railways and space. Space stuff is almost all in Ada. But I can mention one. And this is IFAX, the air traffic control system now in use over the London area, south of England generally. And I know you can talk about that because the demo of it at Bletchley, in the, in the museum at Bletchley. And it's written in Ada, in a language called Spark, which is a proof, proof language. And actually, my daughter was the system architect for the, the whole thing. Spark is a proof tool. And the origins of Spark, amazingly, are work done at Royal Signals and Radar Establishment again in the 70s by a man called Bob Phillips. And that was sponsored by a requirements board chaired by Dame Steve Shirley, who also will be at the banquet tonight. It's not here, it's not here at the moment, I don't think. No. So that's another curious coincidence. So ADA 2012, the latest version, incorporates contracts, and Spark 2014 is um, now integrated into the ADA toolset. And the goal is to show that a program is correct through contracts and formal proof, not by testing it. All testing ever does is find bugs, shows that there are bugs still. So not by testing, but by formal proof. And if you want more details on that, please ask Ada Core for details. And they have some various books that they'd like not to have to carry back to Paris with them. So please, please remove them all. But one other thing I'll show you here is the book which talks about Wright and who wrote the Alma Mater book and so on and so forth is a book called Mr. Hopkins' Men. I think I've got a flight slot. Here we are. Oh, well, beware automotive and medical software. Very dangerous medical software. And I once, was once told, never buy a car built after 2007. It won't work. Oh, and here's a very sad note. Must finish on this. I got penultimate foil, I think. One day in Paris, a member of the HOL team said he would take me to the wine bar on the Champs-Élysées, where the name Ada was chosen, and we would celebrate with champagne. But it had turned into a Burger King. <laughs> <laughs>